Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, the headlines are inflation, Ukraine, gas prices, social safety nets. The solutions to those may be in the Utah playbook, which has many politicians from around the country coming here to the state of Utah to find out what's in that playbook, including Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Very pleased to have joining us on the show today, Senator Rand Paul from the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Senator, welcome back to the state of Utah today. Nice to be with you, Boyd. Thanks for having me. It was nice for the Senate to be out of session so you could actually uh, get out here to, to Utah. Uh, I know you got a, a very full plate, uh, in, including everything from looking at some of the things that Utah is doing well in terms of social capital and civil society and uh, some other political things as well. Uh, but as you come back to the state of Utah, uh, what are the things that you've been observing uh, that might be applicable back in Washington, D.C.? You know, I'm out here mainly to uh, endorse and campaign for my friend Mike Lee. When people ask me who am I closest to ideologically in the Senate, without question, it's Mike Lee. I think particularly now as we face foreign policy challenges, you know, he and I are the, the two that really look to the Constitution and say that war should be the last resort, that uh, war should only occur when voted on by Congress, and that the Constitution is a pretty important document that uh, guides our behavior and allows for something incredible, and that is the checks and balances of having separate branches of government. Yeah, and those uh, those are so vital. Obviously, we're keeping a close eye on everything happening in Ukraine, and and uh, you have been one who have who has been uh, cautionary in terms of what we do, whether we're giving things to Ukraine or we're loaning them or giving them a payment plan. Uh, because you've often talked about the fact that the the debt and the deficit spending we continue to have is also a form of uh, national security that we've been ignoring for too long. Yeah, I think without question, our debt is probably the greatest threat to our national security. And that's something that we uh, absolutely uh, have to keep a watch on. But really, it's been poorly tended over over the last several years, really over the last several decades. And people ask me, whose fault is it, Republicans or Democrats? And my answer is yes, Uh, both parties. There's rarely any Democrat in Washington that cares at all about the deficit. And then among Republicans, a few pretend to care. And then there's Mike Lee and I that uh, vote against uh, the spending because 
We can't spend money we don't have. Our families can't do it. And we should treat the federal budget the same way we treat the family budget. If you don't have money for your family and you spend it unwisely, that's just not good for your family and doesn't make you stronger. It makes you weaker as a family unit. It's the same for a government. So um, this is something I've been talking quite a bit about. Both Mike Lee and I have introduced balanced budgets, not only an amendment to the Constitution, but we've also introduced budgets that actually balance. And this is something that, you know, I dreamed of when thinking of, wow, I'm going to go to Washington and actually put a balanced budget on the floor and make them vote on it. And the interesting thing is, is when you put a budget that balances in five years on the floor, uh, you get about 15 to 20 Republican votes out of 50 currently, and you get no Democrat votes. But it's leading to problems, and people need to understand when they see the prices rising, when they go to fill up their tank and gas prices are up 50 percent in the last year. Uh, that's inflation, but it's inflation that comes from debt. When the Federal Reserve prints up new money or when you get a brand-new $1,400 check, you think I'm rich. You are until you go to the grocery store and see that really the money, uh, nothing really is free in life, that really the money and uh, the penalty is there. It's, an, it's a tax of inflation. Yeah, and I think as we look at those and, and having actually having those kind of debates on the floor of the United States Senate, I, I've been one that thinks we ought to put everybody in there and lock the door and actually have that conversation in front of the American people and then have some real votes uh, where people can be held accountable. Uh, as you talk about that, uh, again, with your colleagues and, and with your constituents, uh, especially as it relates to things like the rising gas prices, uh, it almost seems like we're getting this a little bit of confusion, maybe part of the fog of war here in the U.S., that now people are, are sort of pointing and saying, well, I'm paying more at the pump because, you know, of what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, but you've been talking about this for a long time in terms of inflation as a direct result uh, of bad government spending. Yeah, and the thing about it is, is sure, the price of oil has gone up in the last few days or a week or two since Russia invaded Ukraine. But it was already up 50 percent before there was even a rumor of war. So uh, people need to understand the price of gasoline, the price of your groceries has gone up largely because of uh, the government debt. And the way they finance the debt is the Federal Reserve buys our debt, but the Federal Reserve doesn't have any money. They have to create that money out of thin air. When they create that money, it devalues your money. And I think most people instinctively know this. If you ask people, you know, can the government just send everybody a $1,400 check once a year or twice a year? And if they could, why wouldn't they send it every month? And that's why you had people like Andrew Yang running for office saying, let's give you a $1,400 check every month. And there are Democrats who said, let's just give everybody a universal basic income. But if we don't have the money to give to people, but it's actually being printed up, you can wind up in a situation like they have in Venezuela where they're destroying the currency or a situation like they had in Zimbabwe when you had trillion-dollar notes floating around. The money was so worthless that they, they burned the money for fuel. This happened in Germany. It's happened many, many times in history. When people say, oh, that couldn't happen in America, well, it could. And that's why we need people to say, wow, I know it sounds really good that we want to give this money to people, but if you give it to people – what if we destroy the currency and we have chaos in our country? Um, I think that has to be uh, something that we all have to reckon with. That's Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, who is here in the state of Utah today. We're going to stay with the, the conversation. Senator uh, Paul raised a, a host of things. One, just in terms of every time he brings a bill to the floor that is a a budget, a real budget that balances in five years, 
uh, it's, it's difficult to even get a vote on it, let alone get uh, more than a handful of people who are willing to, to cast that vote. Uh, and yet here we are. Here we are. I remind you today is the 4th of March and just hate to be the, the negative person on a Friday. But at this time next Friday, they'll have to shut the government down if they don't kick the can down the road again. They'll do some sort of little gimmick that will do a continuing resolution that will keep government spending on autopilot. Doesn't reduce it, doesn't cut it back. It just keeps everything spending as if nothing is going on. And so I I do applaud Senator Paul for regularly saying, look, we got to put a a budget together and a plan together uh, that balances and we need to take a vote on it on the floor of the Senate rather than just doing these continuing resolutions. So there's always a threat, always a threat of a government shutdown, which is all just fake fight and false choice stuff. And so I appreciate the fact that Senator Paul, every year he puts it down there. Here is a budget that we could pass. And it is our job, according to the Constitution, to pass a budget every year and go through that appropriations process and doing that actually balances uh, shouldn't be radical thinking. Uh, It's really just common sense. So we're going to go ahead and uh, step aside. We're going to stay with the conversation. When we come back, we'll pick up my conversation with Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. Uh, It's something that might surprise you. Uh, Obviously, Senator Paul is a conservative, uh, is someone who's a libertarian. And we're going to talk about crossing the aisle with Cory Booker on a critical piece of legislation. How they came together and why that matters might surprise you. Stick around. We'll get into that next on KSL News Radio. Think again with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Inside Sources with Lloyd Matheson. Well, we're always trying to figure out how Congress can do a better job. And can senators from across the aisle actually come together to make good legislation or make good legislation better? Uh, We're going to continue my conversation with Kentucky Senator Rand Paul and get into something that might surprise you. I love it when you get surprised with members of Congress, when you see these interesting alliances come together that make you go, hey, that's kind of cool. Those are two people with vastly different ideas and approaches to things, but they can come together and get something done. I love that. Uh, So we're going to pick up my conversation. We're going to talk just a little bit more uh, with Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky about what's happening in Ukraine and how we can actually move it forward and then how we can use that model to solve some problems right here at home. What is the thing that we're missing? What is the conversation that we're not having uh, about Russia and Ukraine uh, that might change the game in terms of uh, where we are and what we should be doing as the United States of America? I think it's important to know that nothing happens in a vacuum and that not everything is dependent on the U.S. and that we're not the only player in the world. Ukraine is important. I think it's a terrible thing that Putin has invaded a sovereign nation. Uh, Promises were made to Ukraine when they gave up nuclear weapons. And yet it's not all our responsibility in the sense that even most people in our country and in Congress are acknowledging we're not going to send troops there to fight a war. But I think on the on the positive side of things, if you look at Europe, I think Europe has actually coalesced much more than Putin anticipated. I think Putin has miscalculated the will of the Ukrainian people. And I foresee a long protracted either war or insurgency over there with ultimately uh, Putin being uh, informed, you know, through the, the, the blunt resistance and the daily killing of his soldiers 
that it was a mistake to do this. So I really think that uh, in the end, the, the outcome here won't be what Putin wants. But I do think that people need to realize that it's not all the responsibility of the American taxpayer to pay for all of this either. It's not like we have a safety account or a savings account that we can send money from. That money has to be borrowed. So we do have to always consider our own national security as we think about helping others. I've been open to selling arms to the uh, Ukrainian resistance, but uh, I'm not a big fan of just giving away things that we, we don't have the money for. Uh, I want to shift now to some of the, the actual lawmaking in Washington, D.C. Uh, you mentioned uh, you're focused on actually checking the, the playbook in terms of the, the Constitution and what can be done. Uh, you had a, a recent uh, area where you and Cory Booker came together. We always talk about bills, you know, with good sounding names, but sometimes the policy doesn't quite match. Uh, share with us just a little bit. Uh, of course, everybody is against lynching. Uh, you and, and Senator Booker came together to make sure that that law really became something that was the right uh, framing in terms of how we should actually approach it. I think you hit the nail on the head. Obviously, the entire country, I can't think of any public figure who would uh, not be horrified by um, the concept or the action of lynching and would be for the severest penalties for murder. It's basically murder. Now, the history of this was a sort of a sad chapter in our in our country's history. And so uh, Corey came to me with this bill and wanted to pass it. And as we read the bill, and this is something, you know, I'm a stickler for. The title sounds good, but let's read it. We became aware that the original bill might have allowed people who painted graffiti on a church, which is a crime, and you should be punished for that, but that's not lynching. And so we thought, wow, the, the, penalty, the penalty for defacing a church or the penalty for pushing someone in a, in a club and calling them a racial epithet, that's not lynching. If we call it lynching and put people in jail for 30 years, that wouldn't be fair or appropriate. And so we worked very hard with the language to make sure that uh, lynching, the horror of lynching and the crime, truly was lynching to make sure that these penalties weren't misapplied to people. In the end, they, they negotiated with us. And I think we made the bill a stronger, uh, better bill by uh, by this negotiation. Yeah, and I, I wish that that's the one part I wish the American citizens could see more of is is when you actually have those kind of conversations where you actually do get to make the bill better uh, and actually make it sustainable and, and measuring up to the Constitution. Senator, I want to ask you uh, one uh, kind of last question because I know this has been a, a big area for you, uh, and that is this whole idea so often Washington politicians are saying you know just just trust us trust the government trust just give us your trust and you really uh, in your time in the Senate has really have really been uh, flipping that script and saying no I don't trust government I, I trust the people uh, where are we on that march and what do we need to do to make sure that government is trusting the people rather than just begging the people to trust government you know I think a healthy degree of distrust of government is uh, natural and actually healthy. Um, you know, I think it was Madison in the Federalist Papers said, you know, if men were angels, we wouldn't need laws. We wouldn't need the Constitution. But because they're not, that's why we have these restraints on power. And we've been concerned about this, you know, since Magna Carta. I mean, a thousand years nearly of uh, the English-speaking people being worried about centralization of power and how to have written documents like the Constitution to limit that power. We have to have people watching the government so that to keep the government honest. And um, so I've been a stickler for bringing Dr. Fauci before these committees, making him answer 
and uh, really asking tough questions. Those are important questions. That's part of congressional oversight. Yeah. Well, Senator, it's been uh, great having this chat with you today. Uh, Glad to have you in the state of Utah for a nice mix of uh, policy and politics uh, and all of those things. Uh, Appreciate you giving us some time today. Safe travels. And uh, we hope we have you back in the state here real soon. Thanks, Boyd. That's my conversation earlier today with Senator Rand Paul from the Commonwealth of Kentucky. And uh, just the the process that he outlined there, uh, again, is one of those things I wish – that all of us could watch on a regular basis because it does happen a lot. So here you had a bill, uh, a bill that was you know, nicely titled and, and on the right thing as it relates uh, to a horrible crime. Uh, but so often in those, we just end up with this battle over the title. And some people say, well, you know, how could you ever vote against that? Uh, but the, you have to start by reading the bill. Uh, and so Senator Paul, as he described, read the bill. And then he didn't just, you know, throw up his hands and say, no chance, no way, we're not letting that go. No, he went back to a liberal senator from New Jersey, Cory Booker, uh, who's a, an amazing individual and uh, someone whose uh, church I would go and listen to him uh, any Sunday. Uh, he is a great speaker and incredibly in touch with his constituents. And so here you had two people from opposite ends of the political spectrum saying, okay, this this makes some sense, but let's make sure we get it right, not just the title. Let's get the whole bill right. Uh, so it, one, it will be better, and two, that it will stand up and, and pass the test of time, that it can pass anything from a court challenge uh, to the actual implementation of it, that it can all be done. And so they did that. They read the bill together. That was probably my favorite line from that whole conversation with Senator Paul. They read the bill together and said, okay, well, wow, this language could actually make this a problem. You know, what are, if we were sending people uh, to prison for 30 years uh, because of uh, some graffiti that they put on a, uh, on a church, is that, the, is that the right thing or do we need to have some different framing? And so then they have the discussion. Then they have the debate. Then they can make amendments and changes and make it better. And so I applaud Senator Paul and Senator Booker for coming together. Uh, And then Senator Paul becomes the co-sponsor of the bill. That's a beautiful thing. That's the way it's supposed to work. Uh, But sadly, what happens too often in our nation's capital is we just fight over the name of the bill and, you know, who hates who. Uh, Half these bills are messaging bills. And it's like, oh, well, you know, this this senator hates puppies and this senator hates chocolate ice cream. And, you know, it's it's the silly season stuff uh, that we allow to define our politics. And it prevents us from getting to good policy. So we have to be willing to have those kinds of conversations. And it requires our legislators at every level to read the bill. And if you have a 3000 page bill and you give members of both political parties, 27 minutes to read it before the vote is called, that is not good governance. And then you end up with the fake fight and the false choice over messaging and talking points instead of over good policy. Uh, It's about getting to good policy, and the way you get to good policy is through that bipartisan conversation, being willing to check your ego at the door, being willing to ask questions, and being willing to listen to the response. That's how we get it better. We're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, you may think we are rolling back into the 80s. 
ABC News' Andy Field joins us to talk about what's happening in Russia that has a lot of people feeling like we just might be back in the USSR. Stay with us. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.